Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last time on Frightful, we explored some fascinating and compelling cases in which people had seemingly been saved from death by a ghost And with multiple witnesses, it makes these cases even more dazzling. But tonight, we conclude our exploration of this topic with two cases that particularly give me the creeps, because they involve home invasion. I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful, we explore Saved from Death by a ghost. Just a note before we move on, our final two stories involve home invasions, one of which includes a sex killer. And I just wanted to mention that because um, that sort of thing can be triggering for some listeners. So uh, just giving you the heads up about that. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Brad Steiger is a paranormal author and researcher. And over the years, he has gathered many eyewitness accounts of the supernatural including this one, which was told to him in 1992. Steiger was leading a seminar in San Diego that day, and afterwards he was speaking with his wife, Sherry. While he and Sherry were chatting, one of the attendees of the seminar came up to them both. Hello. May I speak with you? Yes, yes, of course. And Steiger calls her Margaret G. Margaret told them about an incident that happened to them that is both wonderful and terrifying. (laughs) It was late, when Margaret was sitting at home. She was laid back in her recliner chair with a newspaper stretched across her lap. But she wasn't reading it much. She was so tired that night that she kept nodding off until she heard a sound. She flickered her eyes wide and turned her head in the direction of Sissy's bedroom. Now, Sissy was Margaret's daughter, who was three years old at the time. And sure enough, Margaret realized that the sound was Sissy whimpering in the bedroom. At that precise same moment, she heard another sound. Only this one came from the alleyway at the back of the house. Instantly, her brain brought up the image of what that sound was. Someone had knocked the trash can over. Now awake and concerned, she crept into the dark kitchen. And she knew that from that vantage point, she could get a look out of the window into the back alley. And when she did, she stifled a gasp of shock. Because standing at the back of her house, by the garage, was a man. A stranger. Margaret was scared. What did he want at this hour? And so she very quietly and carefully moved back into the front room and with a trembling hand she picked up the phone and called 911. The dispatch officer said they'd send somebody out so Margaret sat back into the chair knowing that all she could do was wait. 
The police car would soon turn up in the back alley and hopefully scare off this menacing man. But as she was sitting there, she heard that sound again. A whimpering from little Cassie's room. And just hearing the sound of that whimper brought a sudden, terrifying revelation to Margaret. Up until this precise moment, she'd assumed that the man outside was alone. But the realization hit her. What if the man outside was watching her place as a lookout for somebody else? What if there was another man in the house right now? And why was her three-year-old sissy whimpering so strangely in her room? The shock of this idea hit Margaret and she flung herself to her feet. Forgetting all sense of quiet now, she rushed to sissy's door and flung it open. And that is when she screamed. There was another man in Sissy's bedroom, and he was leaning over the child. Margaret staggered for a moment at the shock of it all. She tried to get a glimpse of this man's face, but he was wearing a hooded sweatshirt and the hood was up, obscuring his face. She was about to confront him when she noticed a strange sound coming from the man. This dark figure who was hunched over the bed was singing and he was singing a song from the 1960s which she recognised. It was one of her husband's favourite tunes. As this dark, shadowy figure of the man continued to sing, Margaret said, Who are you? He said nothing, just kept on singing, so she asked again, Who are you? And this is when the man raised his head and turned. (gasps) It was her husband, William, staring at her. She was so overwhelmed by this, she almost collapsed. But at that moment, she heard a hammering knock at the door. The police, they had finally arrived. But as she looked back to the room, she saw only Cassie sleeping soundly in the bed, while the figure of her husband was now nowhere to be seen. Her mind was spinning. Margaret rushed to the door and let the police officer inside and he said he was checking in to see how she was doing, and also to confirm that there really had been a man standing in the alleyway behind the house. And he told her that this man was a known burglar, and that he had a series of convictions for home invasion. They apprehended him because they could clearly see he had targeted her house as the potential next place to get inside. Margaret was still in shock at what she had seen in the bedroom, but she was deeply grateful for what the police had done. But then the policeman said something chilling. The man outside your house tonight is a bad guy. Most burglars, they sneak into homes and and steal things, slipping away without being seen. But but this man is different altogether. He's a sadist. And if he'd thought that there was a woman alone in this house, he wouldn't have only taken things from here. He would have hurt you. And, and, And judging by his record, he'd have no problem hurting any kids you had in the house, too. My God. Yeah, it's scary. I'm afraid the man had gotten right up to your house. He'd been peeping through the windows, ma'am. So it's great to know your husband was home tonight. Wait, what did you say? I said it's good your husband was home. Uh, Seeing your husband put this guy off. My husband? My William? Yes. The guy outside said he was peeping through the windows of the living room. He he said he saw you sitting in the chair, and, and then he saw this big man standing next to you. Then he tried to get into the child's bedroom, but he saw your husband had moved in there and was singing to her. (laughs) The burglar saw my husband too? Yes, ma'am. 
And, and just as well he did. Officer, did he say what my husband was wearing by any chance? Uh, matter of fact, he did. He, he said he was dressed in a hooded sweatshirt, like, like he'd just come back... From running. That's right. <laughs> Thank God he was in the house. Hey, where is he now? Doesn't he want to talk to us about what happened? Did, did he go to bed? Officer, my husband, William, is dead. Wait, what? He died nearly two years ago. What happened? He was jogging on the beach with some friends, but they decided to make the run harder by jumping over stuff, like hurdles, you know? They saw rocks jutting out of the water, so they started leaping over them. Only the waves made it hard to plant their feet, and William, he slipped and fell just as a wave came in, and it sucked him out. His friends couldn't save him. He tried to swim back, but his heavy sweatshirt was soaked with seawater. Oh. It was too heavy. Uh. He drowned. His body washed up on the shore the next morning. I'm so sorry, ma'am. Then I guess the man the burglar saw was someone else? Well, that's just it. It was William. I saw him with my own eyes, clear as day. He somehow came back to protect us tonight. The officer just stared at her, not saying anything. And Steiger and his wife say that Margaret was clear. In that moment, she didn't care whether the police believed or didn't. She knew for certain that William had somehow returned that night just when they needed him most. Margaret said, I will never forget that tiny glimpse I got of his face and the beautiful sound of him singing over little sissy. And she also added that her husband had not only brought protection to them that night, he had gifted her with something priceless. Something that meant everything to a single mother still struggling with the grief over her husband's loss. He had given her proof that death was not the end. That we go on. If you got a summer anthem, how about this one? Summertime and building credit is easy. <laughs> yeah, okay, you can shoot me now. But all jokes aside, I think you'll be singing all summer long with a secured Chime credit build a Visa credit card. You'll probably start dancing too with how easily and safely you can build your credit score using everyday purchases or on-time payments. I bet you'll be whistling and doing cartwheels when you find out that there's no annual fee or interest or even a credit check to get started. And you can use Chime everywhere that Visa credit cards are accepted and act Access more than 60,000 fee-free ATMs, which is more than the top three national banks combined. I'm impressed with the feature that gets you paid two days earlier, plus a fee-free overdraft and the ability to send and receive money from others no matter what bank account they use. So get started at Chime.com forward slash Frightful. Yeah, that's Chime.com forward slash Frightful. Chime.com forward slash Frightful. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank NA member FDIC. Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. On-time payment history may have a positive impact on your credit score. Late payment may negatively affect your credit score. Results may vary. A final case took place in 1970, and Siegel said it was related to him 
from a woman called Dorothy. She got married to a man called David in 1970, and like many young couples, they didn't have a lot of money starting out. It meant that they had to live in a fairly deprived area of Kansas City. When they moved into their new house, it was a mixture of excitement and nervousness about the new neighborhood. Each of these houses were around 70 years old, and they looked neglected and run down. But they said to one another, this is only for a while. One day we'll get out of this neighborhood, we'll get a better house. But for now, this was home. David had a job at the local factory while he studied business at night school. And Dorothy worked as a waitress. Because of the neighborhood, David insisted that Dorothy only ever do a job where she could get home before dark. And so she would get home about two hours before David did, while it was still light. David's insistence for this was not just him being an old traditionalist, but rather they had seen a disturbing news report. And it was deeply troubling. Young women in Kansas City were being attacked by a rapist who also used a knife to wound his victims. He'd done this to about six women, and he had murdered one of them. And the epicenter of these attacks was their new neighborhood. And so they'd just pray that nothing bad would happen while they waited. And it didn't. But then, October came. It was cold that night in October, when the sickening violence on the TV screen slid out and into the lives of David and Dorothy. David was studying at night school as normal, and Dorothy was keeping his dinner warm in the kitchen. He'd usually not eat his evening meal until about 10.30pm on those nights. Dorothy was in the living room, sitting back and reading a book. Her feet were bare and resting on a footstool. She'd been on them all day and needed the rest. And as she read, she kept an eye on the time. At about ten minutes to nine, she decided she would double-check on David's meal in the oven to make sure it hadn't dried out. And that's when it happened. She walked towards the kitchen door, which led from the living room into the kitchen. But as she moved towards it, she felt the most bizarre sensation. <gasps> like she had been hit by some sort of invisible barrier. That held her back and stopped her going through the open doorway. Not only did she feel this invisible wall pressing into her chest, but to her horror, she could feel invisible hands grabbing her arms and pulling her backwards. She was terrified, but also baffled, thinking, am I losing my mind? She pushed herself forward to test it again, and again the barrier threw her. This time with such incredible force that she went skittering back and stumbled into the living room, toppling over and landing hard on her knee. In her account to Steiger, she makes a point of how she was a confident 22-year-old at the time she'd been brought up on a farm doing manual labor. She was tall and athletic and strong. And yet the feeling of being shoved violently by something she couldn't even see, left her deeply shaken. She realized it was pointless getting back up, and so she just slumped herself against the sofa and stared at the kitchen door, trying to figure out what on earth could have just happened. 
she decided to try it one more time. She got up and rushed towards the doorway, but this time it was different. She saw a bright blue light flashing into the room. And once again, the barrier threw her backwards, but this time it felt like an electric shock. She fell to the floor, shuddering. When she looked back up at the doorway, she saw a blue light hovering in the kitchen. But then that light gradually started to take on the form of a man with a strong and powerful build. Then it faded and was gone. The word she used to describe this moment was that she was, quote, awestruck. Fascinated and curious, she went back to her feet and moved towards the doorway again. She slowly reached out a finger to push the doorway, and sure enough, she saw that blue light growing again. But it started to form into an upraised palm of blue light, slowly pushing her away. But then the moment was broken when the phone began to ring. She picked it up with her eyes fixed on the mysterious doorway opening to the kitchen. The voice on the other end said it was Pearl, their next-door neighbour, but what she said next was frightening. Dorothy, don't speak, just listen to me. These houses are all built in exactly the same style, so I know where your telephone is. So I know you must be near the sofa. So listen to me. You have to sit there and talk to me. And whatever you do, do not move away from that sofa. Do you hear me? Do not move. Dorothy was, as you can imagine, totally confused. She'd only just had a powerful experience of the paranormal, but now her neighbor was making this strange call, telling her not to move. But Dorothy did as Pearl said. Yet it was what Pearl said next, which was truly disturbing. Listen. Don't be scared, all right? But, honey, I'm looking across at your house right now. Listen to me, Dorothy. There's a man standing in your kitchen. I can see him clearly through the window. He's holding a butcher knife, but he's waiting by the kitchen door. I think he's waiting for you to go in. Dorothy risked a whisper and said, Do you think, do you think that's the rapist, the killer we saw on the news? Definitely. So just sit tight. Pearl told Dorothy that she had already called the police as soon as she saw the strange man through the window. And sure enough, within a few minutes, the air filled with the sounds of police sirens racing down the street. Dorothy was frozen to the spot, with her eyes fixed on that open doorway, just wondering if she would see that figure of that serial attacker stepping into view and maybe even rushing into the living room. But what made her jump was not the intruder, it was the front door being hammered by police officers. And around the same time, she said she heard a huge commotion erupting just outside of her kitchen. Dorothy told Siegel that her husband David came home at just around this time and was horrified to see the police gathered around their house, especially when he saw them slapping handcuffs on a man and marching him away. He rushed into his home and flung his arms around Dorothy, saying, What happened? The policeman came up and explained the situation. They said that this was indeed the serial sex killer who had been terrorizing this particular part of Kansas City. But the officer said that this killer was a little man with a thin, slight frame. It seems that he had seen Dorothy and wanted her. But he'd been watching her, reading in the living room, 
and he was intimidated by her height. He was worried that if he was to step up to her in the living room, she'd see him too quickly, and she might get away or even overpower him. So his plan was to wait in the kitchen until she walked in. And then he would leap on her from behind in total surprise. And then he could get to work with the knife and incapacitate her. Eventually the police left and Dorothy and David were back at home again. David being filled with thanks that she hadn't gone into the kitchen. And that's when Dorothy told him that she had tried to get into the kitchen multiple times but was stopped by something she could only describe as a supernatural presence. David was amazed, and he was sure it was some sort of guardian angel watching over her. Dorothy wondered if it might be some sort of ghost. But whatever it was, even if it was a figment of her imagination, why did it come at the precise moment to keep her out of that room? Because it came, it saved Dorothy from a horrific experience and possibly even saved her life. You know, if you speak to most people on the street and ask them, you'd find that they would have no desire for a ghost to appear for them on a lonely road or in their car or in their home or kitchen. And yet the cases we've explored tonight suggest that there may be moments in our lives when that is exactly the thing we need. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Saved by a Ghost on Frightful. Just a reminder, if you enjoy Frightful and you want to get ad-free episodes of both this and my other podcast, Our Curious Past, then check out patreon.com forward slash Laws. You can also get uh, access to a bunch of extra content there and um, find out more about me or my books. Uh, you can go to peterlaws.co.uk to discover about uh, my work and also just search my name up on Google or indeed on Amazon. And you'll find a collection of scary fiction and nonfiction. Well, thank you for listening and stay spooky. <laughs>